this week on the Rumiflex, Indeed kills paper application. Retirees are coming back to work, not because they want to. Everyone reacts differently to grief. Policies don't always work. TRF with my dad and Shelly starts after this message from Van Hack. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelley, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. Van Hack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams, listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, are you ready for Christmas party season? How many parties have you gone to? Two so far. And I've got another one this weekend. And I'm a guest. I'm not having a a company. Or just as a guest. Do you have a date? Is someone asking no. you to all these Christmas parties? No, no, no. I'm going solo. These are clients, right? Okay. That long-term relationships just become friends, really. But I will say, Serge, the years of being at the big corporate Christmas parties, careers can be shattered <laughs> <laughs> at the company Christmas party. So I was at one last weekend. And sitting at basically the executive leadership, then we dispersed and we're visiting with everyone else. And this employee who was clearly very intoxicated, she comes over, she grabs the wine glass that I had, empties it out by throwing it on the floor, slams it down on the table, grabs the bottle of wine on the table, then grabs a wine glass from the table beside, puts it in front of the general manager pours him a drink, herself a drink. He doesn't drink on top of it all. I think she thought she was on a movie set or something. When is it appropriate to empty a wine glass by dumping it on the floor? Oh my God. And I'm standing there and I'm going like, okay, somebody's probably going to have a difficult conversation on Monday. But anyways, 
I tell you, the things that we will see at well, Christmas parties. Oh my God. Do you think it's changed? Because you you did bring up a good point there. And I think we see it more and more is people that don't drink at all. They're just like, hey, I want to live a sober lifestyle. And a lot of companies are trying to help with that with mocktails and different things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we have options at these company events. I've been to many Christmas parties and I am going to one on Saturday. So this is a big corporate Christmas party. And usually... Like my wife working in oil and gas, all of these are like all the booze included. There's only one drink ticket at this. And, and this is a multi-billion dollar company, massive mm-hmm. company, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think it's to remove some of that liability that you're just talking about, especially when it comes to serving alcohol. So I think maybe the days of the crazy madmen shenanigans that happen in these parties where people are banging in the closet... I think those days are done, but I've seen some crazy stories at Christmas parties, even more interesting when you're working maybe in a more blue collar environment. I still remember we had to let someone go because at the Christmas party, someone got too drunk and verbally assaulted their boss plus spit in their face. So obviously what do you do with that type of situation, right? Like really good employee too. Like I had just met her two weeks. I'm like, this lady sharp, like she's got it going on. Then I hear that story. I'm like, yeah, maybe tons of alcohol was not a good idea. Mm, yes, I know. And the liquid courage to say something to your boss. Yeah. I, I think HR is probably wise to have kind of the uh, pre-party conversation with employees. <laughs> if you are tempted in any way to have a conversation that you wouldn't normally have at work, you know, There'll be repercussions. Do you know the other thing I was, I was at a baby shower, friend of mine, it's actually her daughter that just had a baby. And I feel like there's a baby boom happening. Like 2023 seemed to be a lot of babies born. But the other thing I noticed was a lot of them, like in my circle, five babies born in 2023 and four out of the five are not married. And we're not talking 17 years old and knocked up from the back of the car. No, these are like late 20s and 30s. And they are quite happily having a baby together and not getting married. Yeah, I guess it's everyone's choice. I like I get it in some ways. What's your thoughts? Like, I have friends even my age. And so their kids would be my kids age in their 20s, that never married. And there's certainly no question that it's been a lifelong commitment. They've been together for 30 plus years or 25 plus years. The obligation is no different. I had a very wise man say to me, like before I got married, Peter Meingas said to me, marriage should be five-year renewable contracts. I did (laughs) What's that? I disagree. (laughs) He said, if you have to renegotiate your contract every five years because of your performance, either party can get out easily or more easily at the end of the five-year contract. And I was like, like you, my first reaction was, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. The more I thought about it, it would have been a really good idea for me. Yeah, I, contracts I expiring that. and it's your service levels just have dropped. <laughs> yes, I, I get where you're coming from. I guess I 
don't really align with that thinking. I'm like, it's a commitment for life. You figure it out. But I know that's not always the case. And the person you marry is not always the person that they end up to be. So I get that. Shelly, let's get into the news. And I All have right. some breaking news. Yep. Indeed is discontinuing PPA, paper application. And I'll give you a statement that we found on SIA, which is a staffing industry analyst, I guess, website. So mm-hmm. paper application was one recent test aimed at providing greater value to employers. Over time, we found that this option required additional efforts from employers and was not easy enough to support the different needs of employers. Starting December 18, we have decided to no longer offer PPA. Our journey remains focused on delivering exceptional blah, 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 blah. A couple key notes in there that they say as well. Indeed, also confirmed that pay per started application pricing will continue. So Mm -hmm. basically, Shelly, it looks like paper application directly from the Indeed platform is done almost, I think, a year to the date of the announcement or very close to it. So shocking news because this is what Indeed's been talking about for a year. So what's your first take on it, Shelley? Mm -hmm. Well, my initial reaction was what a shame in that. I mean, it's very brave to try something new in the market. It is. The pay per applicant was and is the the first big step to the what customers were asking for and that's quality applicants the problem is quality is so hard to define a quality applicant for me i could go in and reject you know what 80% of them that's a really subjective thing to try and do so you know it it's a shame but i i guess what i appreciate is that obviously customers were not getting the uptake you know, if I have one criticism is that there wasn't enough education in the market about why PPA is a good thing. I think it's a good thing for customers. The reality is, I think in big companies, because part of that pay per applicant model was if you went in within 72 hours and rejected a candidate, you wouldn't have to pay for them. But we know how stretched thin mm. talent acquisition teams are, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm kind of sad because it was a step in the right direction towards quality. That's my take. All really good takes, Shelley. And I I will agree with you that Indeed took a chance here. I think we can all agree paper applicant is a model that a lot of us can understand a lot more than cost per click, which is their old model that they're going back to. I think there's a couple of things, right? Like if this would have happened two to three years ago, I think they'd be in a way better position. There's a couple of things that makes me think they didn't understand the day in the life of a recruiter. And that 72 hours, which seems like a long time, but if you take in the scope of a recruiter handling 30, 40 recs, and there's hundreds of applications to get to those and reject them on time is, especially in a year where we've seen massive layoffs with recruiters, And we've seen a couple of other things that have really upset the cart that makes this a lot more difficult. The one is AI applications. I know it's not massive right now, but we are seeing a ton of applications that are coming through these AI programs that are applying to multiple jobs. I think 
in Canada, there's another thing that happened, and I can't confirm this in the States, but I've talked to a couple of different practitioners. One of the big challenges they've had is a lot of international applicants, like to a tune of 80 to 90% of their candidates being international. And being in the job board space, I've seen this. Uh, so I'm not surprised to hear that. And obviously, indeed, being a global worldwide site, when people want to move to Canada, they're going to Indeed or like Canada Job Bank, but Indeed's being driven by that. Take that combination of a labor market that shifted dramatically. So a lot more people looking for jobs. Then you add in the point of international applications influx in Canada, then you take AI automation. Recruiters just could not keep up. And they ended up paying for a lot of applicants that were not qualified. I'm putting my hand up here, Serge, because yeah. I just I just want to step back for one second, because I can tell you from my personal experience as well, in that I have had clients that when they post certain jobs, they would see seven out of 10 applicants are not in the country. And I can tell you that they did not pay for them. So Indeed's well aware that, you know, people use virtual private networks or what have you to go in and apply to jobs in Canada, but they did not charge clients for those foreign applicants. I can can tell you that for certain. I can tell you for certain that some never got to the point that they were able to verify it because there is screening questions. A lot of them had questions of, can you legally work in Canada? Uh, There was also a lot of false answers. I don't know if they had to go to CS, to client service and Indeed to get those removed, but these small businesses got charged for them without understanding the procedure. So I know that has happened and I've been with Indeed and I know they do try to figure out a way not to charge for international applicants, but it has happened in this particular case. Probably not the volume, probably SMBs, but Mm -hmm. taking all of those factors and smaller recruiting teams the recruiters are coming back and saying, we, we can't manage this. This is just not working for us is, is really what the situation. So Indeed pulled it back. It's too bad because I do agree. And I've over the year, I've realized that paper applicant is the start of what it should be. I think we need to go deeper with qualified applicants and verified applicants. I think this mm-hmm. is where this world is going. But it was the first step. One thing that I want to try to figure out, is this an opportunity for competitors, though? So whoever can execute on this in the space, there's an opening for them. Interesting. Interesting. Anybody you want to predict? Keep an eye on? (laughs) No, I'm not going to predict because I have no faith in the other players that they're actually going to get it right. So I'm just saying there is an opportunity. I think the killer was the 72 hours, Shelly. No, I think, well, I agree. The 72 hours was really tough to manage. And I just don't think clients understood it well enough. And I don't know how much consultation there was with clients. What they heard clients say loud and clear is, I don't need 500 applicants to fill 50 jobs. Yeah, I need maybe 100 applicants or like a three to one, right? But getting so many that it's just a bad candidate experience. So that's loud and clear. Like, I don't need your thousand people to fill the few jobs that I have. I believe they were responding to that nirvana, that quest of quality applicants. 
And that's why I think we'll see more screening coming back in. I think we to will try and get see us more. there. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree. Yeah. I think we have to. It's, there's no other way to get there that is something that can be executed on them quickly and be efficient. Mm-hmm. So on that note, I guess the one last thing I'll say, this is a big miss by Indeed, just publicly. They tried. But for them saying this was a test, this was never a test. This was definitely their playbook. And unfortunately, timing and changes in the market and just didn't align. I wouldn't be surprised if they come back. But this reminds me of Monster trying a lot of different things that just failed. Career builder, workopolis here in Canada. I don't think this is good for the long run of Indeed. I think we're starting to see those chinks because this is their first major, I would say it's a gaffe. Um, They Mm. did not execute and they're known to execute. I give them full credence. No company in the space has been able to execute Indeed. So let's see what the future holds, Shelly. So let's jump into another news element. And this is the latest employment numbers in Canada. And if you look at the headlines, it looks decent, right? Uh, Canada added 25,000 jobs last month. Almost 60,000 new full-time jobs were created. It was offset by a loss of over 34,000 part-time jobs. We know those fluctuate pretty heavily. By Mm -hmm. sector, manufacturing added 28,000 jobs and construction added 16,000, while wholesale and retail trade industry lost 27,000 jobs. So economists view this as an overall increase is pretty moderate. I think Mm -hmm. part of the challenge is our unemployment rate actually jumped 0.8% at 5.8%, which is one of the highest that we've seen in the last five years. There's a story to be told here, Shelley. I think we have a lot of people moving into the country and not suitable jobs to match what they're looking for, or where the skill set comes from. Yes, we need an influx of new Canadian workers, but are we doing a proper matching? I still think there can be a debate around that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because the unemployment rate, interestingly enough, even in our local market, it only went up 01 percent. Looking from coast to coast, that's actually, in my experience, I think a pretty pretty healthy number. I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about. No. But you look at trends. It's a very healthy number. Looking at trends and it going up is a little bit of an area of concern. I guess we'll see what the next numbers show up. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a trend that we're seeing in not just Canada, but in North America with companies taking a second look at their policies for bereavement leave, some very large organizations have started changing how much time they offer. And one in particular is Johnson and Johnson. And they're looking at offering uh, 20 days of paid bereavement leave. What was interesting was there was a professor who studies aging and grief at the University of Alberta And her research suggested that 14 days might be necessary. So currently, employers are only required to provide five. And they're job protected. They don't have to be paid days off. They're just simply job protected. So you can take time off and the employer doesn't have to pay you. But why I wanted to add this to In the News is because I think it is a trend 
that we're finally seeing happen in the major companies. And we know that smaller companies will come along as well. I've always thought nobody should tell me how long I have to grieve based on which family member has passed away. Yeah. The five days has always been shocking to me. And if one of my kids or my wife would pass away, I'm not back to work in five days. And any company to expect that you could. Obviously, we all grieve in different ways, but like have some compassion here. And I completely agree with your statement. I think it should be left to the employee. I know some will abuse it, and I know life needs to go on and companies run, but it's. It goes with that mantra is if you die two weeks after your job will be posted, it's the same mentality of how you treat your employees. Completely unacceptable to be three, five days. 20 days starts to make sense, but does it? Like it's Mm -hmm. still, how would you react? Your children, oh, I can't even imagine. I know. Completely different if you're looking Mm -hmm. at your third cousin of a cousin, yes. But I think this is really up to the manager and the employee. And this is where companies can really show compassion and a differentiator when it comes to employment brand because mm-hmm. how you work with people is your employment brand. Mm-hmm. Shelly, okay. how about we do tip of the week brought to you by Plum? Yes, your tip of the week is brought to you by Plum. Plum knows that when people flourish, businesses thrive. Using science-backed insights, Plum aligns human potential with job needs, allowing you to build high-performing teams from a single platform ideal for improving hiring choices, identifying future leaders, and offering personalized career advice. Plum supports the entire employee journey from hire to retire. Discover more at plum.io. So the tip of the week is it's that time of year where we're talking performance reviews, which go hand in hand with salary reviews. And so What's interesting is how many recruiters don't know how to advocate for themselves in Mm. asking for a salary increase. So I just wanted to give a few tips about things to think about or have prepared as you go into your year-end performance review discussion with your TA leader. So be informed of what the average salary increase is for the city and the region that you're in. To have a national number really isn't going to be as relevant. Understand what the open roles are within your industry. For example, the staffing industry has the lowest paying base salary between $41,000 to $63,000, whereas oil and gas here in our local economy starts a conversation at $110,000. You need to keep that in mind as well, what industry you're in. Also, how long have you been with your employer? And most importantly, something, Serge, I think every year you've talked about this, but to keep your own portfolio of what you've accomplished and have that and be tracking it throughout the year. Don't wait till the end of the year to try and remember, oh yeah, that's right. I did land the biggest deal in Q2. And be real, don't accept zero. No matter what they tell you, your employer can find money to pay you more. Because accepting zero is just admitting defeat. And if you're going to accept zero, then I think that's an indication you should probably look for a job somewhere else. That's my tip of the week. Love the tip of the week. And you're right. Be prepared. 
Like mm-hmm. advocate for yourself because obviously living is costing a lot more and mm-hmm. don't be under the depression because uh, it's a little bit harder to find a job right now as a recruiter that you should just accept what you can get. If you're doing a great job, companies will respect that. And to your point, find the money. If they can't, it's time to look for another job. Mm-hmm. Shelly. I want to start the recruiting insights and it's okay. brought to you by Metova. Shelly, are you tired of the same old outsourcing woes? Well, say hello to nearshoring. It's like outsourcing, but closer and it won't make you pull your hair out. Picture this top-notch IT talent from Latin America. Many Latin American IT professionals have strong English language skills and even live in the same time zone, so no more midnight conference calls. Hallelujah. Plus, Latin America's growing tech ecosystem, strong educational institutions, and a pool of skilled IT professionals make it the perfect region for recruiting talent. I have the perfect company that does this. The company's name is Metova. They have local experts who handle everything from recruiting to HR support. So why settle for the same old outsourcing blues when you can have the nearshoring party with Metova? Look them up at metova.com and let's get the fiesta started. All right, Shelly, what is our first recruiting insight? So... Workplace trends to keep an eye on for 2024. These sound like a broken record. A lot of the times it's not a lot new. And we're always doing our research and looking at different news sites and so on. But there's one that caught my eye for 2024. There was all the usual suspects, you know, with AI and IT will be in demand still. But the one that I've not heard a lot of talk about is retirees returning to the workplace. More retirees, some of whom may have left for early retirement during COVID or during the pandemic, will return to the workplace for multiple reasons. So whether it's their financial goals or fulfillment of personal interests or just bored, the fact that we expect to peak at 65 is really a phenomenon just in North America. What got me interested in this was another article that talked about what is the retirement age for different countries around the world. And I was shocked to find out that in Saudi Arabia, it's 47. Hmm. Yet in, in the UK and France, so France increased their retirement age from 65 to 67. Was there anything in this particular workplace trends for 2024 that you thought was interesting? We've been talking about retirees coming back to the workforce for a little while. We've talked quite a bit that they left the workforce in pretty high numbers during 2020, 2021. And Mm -hmm. I think the reality of inflation, where we are economically, has changed where they stand and they're somewhat being forced to come back to work, which I don't think is ideal in any way, but I totally get it. You're right. In looking at these trends to look for in 2024, none of it is really surprising. One of the things that they did say, and I think it's pie in the sky, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but eventually might is the traditional five-day work week may become less prevalent as companies navigate ongoing flexibility, balancing 
Uh, the five day work week is not going anywhere anytime soon. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you look at just what's happened with return to office, like there's a force paradigm in all our minds that this is how we should work. And it's going to take a long time to change that paradigm. So I will disagree. I don't think we're going to see any substantial movement on five-day work week until maybe Generation Z becomes way more prevalent in management and the workforce. And even to that point, we change as we grow, right? Like how we mm-hmm. vote mm-hmm. when we're 20 so and how we vote when we're 40, how we perceive work at 20 compared to 30 and 40 will change. So I, I think that's a stretch. One of the things that I thought was interesting is they predict the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation is shifting with a focus on equity and inclusion over forced diversity, emphasizing the importance of building an inclusive culture before prioritizing diversity. I think there's a strong Mm -hmm. argument to be made, especially if we look at affirmative action being shut down in the US, that we've been actively discriminating against a subset of the population. Anything that you're discriminating to me, is not diversity, equity, inclusion. I love the conversation about inclusion here, making sure that Mm -hmm. everyone is represented. I believe that being hired by your marriage should be the number one criteria of getting hired. And honestly, we need every group to be working and happy at work. So that was the only one that really struck out to me aside from that. Mm -hmm. But I want to jump into the next recruiting insight, Shelly. Yes, so the next one, man, I don't even want to bring this up because we've talked about it so much. It's return to office, work from home, this whole conversation. Obviously, if we looked at last year, we saw a big shift, right? Like we saw 2021, the mentality was, oh, we're always going to be remote to 2022. It was, hey, guys, you should come back Creeping to work. Back in. <laughs> A couple days a week in 2023, we saw the reality of everyone back to work and back in the office. And that has negated the positive effects that we've had in the last couple of years when you're talking about different diversity groups. So we talked about elderly, well, elderly, actually, I should call them. (laughs) We talked about the more senior workers. And we've also talked about disability discrimination, right? For a lot of people, if we looked at 2021 and 2022, for many groups, this was Mm -hmm. a big shift in the employment numbers of these groups that now could do a lot of the work from home that in the past, based on their disability or how they work, going to an office was not something that they could do, or it was a major challenge. And there was a lot of accommodations to be done to make it work compared to having the ability to work from home, have their setup, everything at home to accommodate them. That's caused a lot of challenges. Actually, recently, there's a lawsuit against Electric Boat Corporation. In this case, Zachary Belval, an employee with multiple health issues, including a heart defect and severe anxiety, claimed discriminations against Electric Boat Corporation for its failure to provide reasonable accommodations under the Americans with Disability Act. So Belvot sought to continue remote work due to his health concern, but was partially accommodated by the company. When he did not return to work at the office full time, he was basically considered as resigned. Mm-hmm. 
basically the company had to reach a settlement of 47,500. I think this is a little bit of a warning signal to a lot of companies that if you made accommodations in the past for whatever health situation it is, this is setting a precedent that you might lose if it goes to court. But aside from the legal part of it, it's like expanding your labor pool is absolutely critical, especially that we are not having a lot of children and there is a lot of roles that are open. Removing that certain sector of our public to be able to work is is not a positive in any way. What was your take here, Shelley? Yeah, I don't think we can ever roll back. Do you know what it struck me as, Serge, was a complete denial that we actually all, the entire world just went through for the first time. I mean, I know it's happened before in history, but the pandemic, right? And we all lived through it. And when you will refuse to accommodate someone, when we know full well that you have the ability to accommodate somebody, I think you are willfully denying them. And it really is unfortunate because when someone has like a heart condition or anxiety, I know people who have anxiety who the thought of getting on transit on the train in the morning is almost debilitating. So why would you force them to do that when you know full well that this person can be accommodated and let them work remotely? It's like you can't reverse what happened or erase what the entire world just experienced. I hope that governmental bodies actually come down a whole lot harder on companies yeah, than just $47,000. I think we need to, as TA practitioners and people in HR, to be aware that there are legal precedents here. I think they deserve it. I wish they would have gotten slapped a little harder. And staying on the family theme for the show, it seems like talking about kids and talking about a uh, massive disadvantage for working mothers and working dads. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I think we agree that it's hit harder with women as they're still primarily the main caregiver in most houses. In this reality of what's happened in the last two years, in a world where someone gets a little bit of a sniffles, you cannot bring them to preschool or to school compared to the past. Mm-hmm. That has changed dramatically. And I can't imagine being two parents at work without one that doesn't have some flexibility, especially when you have multiple kids. So a strict return to the office that you have to be in the office during this time to this time, unfortunately, doesn't match with a large portion of the population. And we're going to see a lot more pushback as we accepted it in the past. We accepted that we live during the pandemic, yeah, actually one can work from home. And if a kid is sick, they can be there for it and maybe still work. So I think that's the other factor that we're going to start seeing a lot more challenges when it comes to the complete, you need to be in the office this time. Flexibility is key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And on that note, Shelly, last week, you missed the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group. It was tons of fun. Great venue. I know. I've heard so much. Now word is starting to trickle back to me about your behavior. What did and I do now? Yeah. Yeah. Serge, we may need to have a performance discussion here. I think I may need to call HR in. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thank you so much for representing. Actually, all I heard was how incredibly charming you were. And of course. he's so much fun. And I like Serge so much. 
Can yeah. I say something? And I rode high on this for a couple of days. So saw Kim and Kim said, how do you get better looking every time I see you? <laughs> oh, and, so and I know, I know that was a little bit of Shelly Flattery in the same style as you, but I'll tell you it worked because I was riding high on that. Kim, if you're listening, thank you. That made my day. That is very nice. On that note, thank you for joining us and mm-hmm. have a great weekend. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.